0: everyone so this week on investment uncut similar to what we did last week we're tackling one of the really big topics of today that of race and really i think we'll just jump straight in back to the conversation we had with gavin lewis on being black in the investment industry
1: and if you haven't checked out the first part of this episode do go back to last week's show have a quick listen and then pick it up again this week but here we are with the second part of our conversation with gavin lewis
0: Welcome to Investment Uncut.
1: In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis.
0: And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at
1: lcp.uk.com. I've heard you talk before, Gavin, I think, about the specific acronym BAME, which is often used to sort of group together a variety of sort of non white ethnic groups. I think what you said is that you kind of feel we need to get rid of that and, and sort of move on. So could you maybe share your thoughts on that? When we sat down as members of the Diversity Project, the brief
2: we were, we were given was BAME, Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic, increased representation of all those groups. And it didn't feel appropriate because when you look at the representation in the industry, you have certain sections of the Indian community, I should say, are performing well and are represented. Are they well represented? I don't know, but they are definitely represented at like all levels, senior levels, as well as um, entry and mid. Then when you look at, like even if you just stick with the A, right, stick with the Asian, there's an underrepresentation of Bangladeshis and Pakistanis. And then when you look at Black, there's definitely an underrepresentation of Black, but actually UK-born Black people seem to be performing the worst. There are some other black professionals who've been helicoptered in from the US, maybe the West Indies and West Africa who were doing well. So even when you break that down, there's a challenge. And then within black, you have Caribbeans and Americans and West Africans and the performance of those groups were different. So we just felt that this umbrella term wasn't appropriate to try and build a strategy around. And then this is how we felt about it personally. So I would never refer to myself as BAME. Why would anyone else? I'm a black person, I've always been a black person, and I'm comfortable saying that. If BAME is a HR term, it's not very helpful, we don't think. And if it's to get around your comfort of saying black, well, we kind of need to get over that. And in the course of a conversation, we never say white or black people. I make a point to say white people, because I think we need to start getting comfortable saying white people and black people and brown people. And until we can do that, I don't think we're going to, if we can't even get over that, then we've got no chance of actually dealing with dealing with the issue. So the term itself, I think, we have some issues with, some challenges with. And then in terms of what we've decided to do, we have focused on black because we felt that probably alongside Bangladeshis and Pakistanis, that was the most challenged demographic, and particularly UK-born black people. And that's what we started. And that's not to suggest that there shouldn't be a talk about. I don't know talk about brown, talk about Asians and. It's just that this should also be like discussions around poor white kids and that demographic and social mobility. So this isn't to the exclusion of everything else. We just think to deal with it properly, you probably need to focus on it.
0: I mean, particularly given that my perception anyway is one of the sort of drivers with Talk About Black is to start those conversations and they're very personal conversations about very personal experiences. And actually, if you called it Talk About BAME, and then you've got the whole plethora of different types of experiences from different groups, it maybe weakens some of the points that are being made in the first initiative or drive.
1: I think you could be right there that perhaps there is an element of BAME that's created to avoid the discomfort of using the word black, because I can just tell from my own discomfort at sort of saying that. And I probably would try and avoid saying it normally if I could do. I'd find ways to avoid it or say nothing. I don't mind admitting that. And I guess just Seeing that, I guess, yeah, like you say, we've just got to deal with that and just get used to saying it, not try and create other words to get us out of that. And I do appreciate that it is difficult because if you don't have access to people who
2: can tell you what they're comfortable with, like, where do you start? Because you've got BAME, then you've got Black, then you've got like African-American, people of colour. Like, where do you start? And I think if you go to the US, people of colour over here, people might hear the word colour and think coloured, which was in a derogatory term if you go to the US, that's accepted. And if you go to the US now, African-American is really outmoded. But black is fine. Yeah, maybe that hasn't caught up over here. So I think we also appreciate that it's really difficult for people who are not familiar with the terminology. So one of the reasons, again, that we we said to about black is to talk about it. I think we would much rather people, look, you're uncomfortable. If you just said, look, this is very uncomfortable. We're going to make some mistakes. You'll get all the leeway that you need. And that's because you're trying to deal with the subject. It's much better that than not talk about it, because then that just stops the conversation from happening, which stops you from dealing with the issues.
0: And I guess people naturally probably don't like to admit they're uncomfortable. But actually, that is a really big step in this whole discussion, isn't its is, Dan, you mentioned you're reading the book White Fragility. I guess it probably speaks to some of these sorts of issues that no one likes feeling uncomfortable. No one likes admitting any weakness, really, naturally. But actually, well, as you said earlier, Gavin, if you have lived these experiences day in, day out, and it's exhausting, the least other people can do is feel some discomfort and be open to a conversation because that's, I guess, how it starts. It's not necessarily how it ends because clearly we need to do more than just talk, but
1: it's a start at least. There was an expression that came up on the Talk About Black webinar again a couple of months ago. I think it might have been Darren that mentioned it. He talked about the staring at your shoes moment kind of thing. That sort of resonated with me. I mean, I've definitely had some of those moments where you're kind of like thinking, there's something a bit wrong here, but I just, I'm going to say something wrong. I can't say it. I don't want to say it. I'm just going to pretend none of this is happening and then we can all move on and not talk about it again sort of thing. But yeah, I guess having less of those would be good, right? That's what we're saying.
2: And I don't think anyone's got the answers. Look, I've had to go through that when I first got involved in like diversity and inclusion with the LGBTQ plus community. Like, what do I say? How do I say it? Is this the right thing? The strange thing is that as a minority, I was perfectly comfortable asking them. Like perfectly, perfectly comfortable. And because you just have this kinship with other marginalised groups, but maybe it's being marginalised myself that enables you to then ask the questions. But it's, I don't know what it's like to be a gay person. So I have to ask and I have to find out. And it's okay. We don't expect people to know all the answers. We'd much rather again have this conversation.
1: So Mary, you mentioned Obviously, you and I have both been adding a little bit to our reading on this recently. I've been reading the book White Fragility that I found fascinating, and you've been reading something as well, I think.
0: A little bit late to it, really, but I've been reading Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo-Lodge, which I think I actually read it almost in one day because it was just I couldn't put it down. And it's back to the kind of learning about other people's experiences that is such a valuable way of understanding the issues in more depth. And it had some history in it, which I quite liked as well, but.
1: What's the real premise of it then? What is the reason why the author's no longer talking to white people about race? I think it's the exhaustion, to be
0: honest, that Gavin's already referred to. The kind of not being able to have the open conversation in a way that will be productive because there are barriers, because there's an unwilling to feel uncomfortable and unwilling to accept various issues from the past. I suppose in the wake of George Floyd, when we had lots of protests across the UK and things like the statue in Bristol, those sorts of things, the different sides to that argument that we saw kind of across the news, those sorts of discussions I think obviously happened after the book was published, but it's that kind of inability to make progress in discussions I think was the premise. I think it started with a blog, which picked up a lot of support and then the book was written after that, but it was published a few years ago, so.
2: Yeah. It'd be very interesting to see. I think Renee, she's, I mean, I read the book when it first came out a good few years ago now. Quite interestingly, I got it in hardback, it had like a paper cover. That you can take off. And I was reading it on the tube and I felt so self conscious about reading the book in big letters saying, Why am I not talking to white people about race? I took the paper cover off. I think it was probably about a good three years ago when it first got published. That was like an incendiary item to be carrying around. But the sentiment I absolutely understand because basically, Renee, and if you're a black person, you've had this is when you try to explain the fact that this behavior is racist discriminatory not right the discussion just historically has just been shut down and you find yourself trying to convince people that this exists and she was done and I absolutely get it I do however realize the I guess juxtaposition of talk about black because on that basis we've taken a very different view which is if you don't talk about it you can't deal with the issue and that certainly not suggests that we don't agree with where where coming from because it was Honestly, like we all identified with what she said. I guess the challenge for me personally is that my livelihood comes from the corporate world and it's a white world. The reason why I do this, honestly, is yes, because I want to help other people and I want them to hopefully have an easy experience than I've had, but also because I need to advocate for myself because there is no one above me in the UK. The crazy thing is that I am it. Me and a few other people are the senior black people in the industry. There is no either layer. Well, there is, sorry, that's not fair. There is. They're a small bunch and they've got their own stuff to deal with. But certainly in the asset management industry, when I look above, there are very, very few, probably with the exception of Dawood. So if I don't do this, I don't think I could stay in the industry because it got to the point where something had to change, something had to give, and it was either the industry or me. So we kind of have to, if we want to reach our potential, quite simply. I don't know what Randy's take would be on where things are now. I do follow her on Twitter. And I know she's been still talking about the book. But the other thing is, I think it will now be acceptable to carry that book around with the wrapper on. Because I think that's where people are. And that is progress, some progress.
0: I think she did comment, I think sales of her book soared immediately after the events earlier in the year. And I think I saw a comment from her saying, It's great that lots of people are reading my book but please read it and absorb it and act on it don't just read it because it's popular right now and I guess that's back to some of the stuff we said right at the start in terms of momentum and when there's loads in the news about it it's at the forefront of everyone's minds but the important thing is to keep it at that stage so that change happens
2: yeah I think so and I also think that whilst this is like I think certainly for white people who just get into grips with this also just be mindful of the interactions you are having so when the incidents in the U.S. first happened and people realised there's actually a problem, honestly, for a lot of the black people, we were like, we know there's a problem. Like, where have you been? We've been talking about this for years and we've been telling you and we were never allowed to talk about it, hence René's book. But I think when the issues came to the fore, what we then had is this like, light bulb moment where white people said, ah, I now get it, I didn't realise. Great. But then what we then had is that outpouring of grief directed at us so there was this guilt that came with it for some not for everyone but for some and we had to receive that guilt and it's an interesting dynamic because then we had to receive the guilt so we ended up in a strange position where certainly we were kind of being asked to make people feel better because they didn't know and then it was what can we do we were then being asked can you then help us fix the problem and So it's just a really interesting analysis of the power dynamics. Even if it wasn't intended, the way it's received is, so those incidents really hurt black people in the US and in the UK globally, but it didn't hurt any more than in the others that we saw. It was something else. So we've been feeling this pain either by watching, seeing or experiencing ourselves. But then obviously everything came to a head. But what you then had is in our darkest moments, we weren't allowed to grieve because we were trying to make everyone else feel better, which is the power dynamic. Whether it's intentioned or not, that's kind of the way that it played out. And then the way that it then manifests itself is, can you help us fix the problem? Tell us what to do? How do we do it? Which is the realisation of that, which is, well, for a start, we're minorities, we're powerless, we're disenfranchised. If we could have fixed it, we would have done it by now. But then there is the onus. The onus should be on basically, which is what Renee's saying, which is the unit should be on the white majority to, now that you understand, it should be oh my god, I didn't know that you were feeling this way, how can I make you feel better? That should have been the first conversation. The second conversation could be how do we fix this for you or with you? That's the way the conversation should go. It has not. So as well as dealing with how you feel about it personally, then in this strange scenario where, and We've made a rod for our own backs, right? Because we have this profile. We stand up for this. So Obviously, we are like the lightning rods for this. And we know that. And a lot of yoga and meditation helps us get through. But not everyone has taken that stance. And it's very, very difficult to then be reconciling how you feel about the situation. Finally getting people to realize that actually you weren't making it up and maybe you have been treated badly but then having to make
1: everyone feel better about it and find solutions. It's a lot to take on. Without asking you to make us all feel better or to fix everything, perhaps we could try and get towards a few few suggestions for listeners who are out there thinking, what should I be doing? And perhaps we could start with books and things that people might read to sort of try and give them better context for the conversations Is that we'd ask people to start. So I think you said, Mary, that in René's book, there's a bit of history. But
2: if you want a really, really good understanding of British history, there's a book by David Alasoga called Black and British A Forgotten History, which is immense. So if you really want to understand
1: it, I know people can't see it, and that's back to front anyway, but that's, it is quite a tone. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, that sounds really interesting. Okay.
2: And then if you want a different take on, I guess, the societal structure of racism, there's an amazing book by Isabel Wilkerson called Caste. It's called The Lies That Divide Us. Again, so I absorb this. Again, it's quite a tone. We can see how many notes notes I've made in it. That's how amazing it is. But that is... It okay, goes back to front. But that is excellent. Really, really, really good. And then I thought, as you're quite cerebral, you might appreciate some things not related to race. I do read your reviews on LinkedIn, Dan. Always very, really interesting. I'm always wired. So... I wake up at four o'clock in the morning thinking about a new idea or something. So I need to find some ways of calming down. So I saw this, this in the bookshop called The Art of Rest by Claudia Hammond. How to find a rest bait in a modern age. And actually it doesn't tell you anything you don't already know. I won't give it away because there's a top 10 of restful things to do. But it actually does tell you what is restful and what is not. Oh, Surprisingly, a podcast about race is not in the top 10. So... <laughs> 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 The last one, you can, again, you would have to do all these. Again, sorry, I'm a bit of a nutcase when it comes to this. So again, this is like a massive book. I think I devoured that in about two days. This is by a German historian called Rutger Bregman, and it's called Humankind, A Hopeful History. And he basically just gets into this debate. I don't know if your political philosophy is your thing, but Hobbes versus Rousseau and human nature. I mean, Are we Lord of the Flies, where man needs a, Hobbes is like man needs a state to keep him from devouring, killing each other. And Rousseau is actually like, we have an intrinsically kind human nature. It's actually a state that makes us act, and nationalism that makes us act towards one another. But well, that was really interesting. If you like books like Sapiens, then this is a really, really good, interesting take on it. I could take you through my whole bookshelf because I've got loads of these, but I'll stop there with those four.
1: Those sound like some pretty good additions to the bookshelf and might need a whole new bookshelf. They look like pretty, <laughs> pretty hefty tomes. I might need a new one, but they seem like pretty good. So I might have to get on those. Sounds great.
0: Can I ask you one question, Gavin, about reading books? Because I've seen that you've got physical books and they're, they're all kind of tomes view on physical book versus kindle and i guess in the context of if you're reading a book about race you can read it in a kindle and it's not clear to anyone what you're reading but actually is part of the effort if you like showing people that you're reading about this and learning about this sort of stuff or is there not much difference in your view
2: no actually i do i mean given the book obviously you're reading it mary the book basically just got these big letters obviously in black and white i think it's great me reading it Three years ago, clearly was an issue for me. It might not have been, but clearly it was an issue for me. You reading it, I think, is a statement. Unfortunately, we're obviously in isolation, so no one's going to see you reading it. No, true. But you could put it on social media and say, I think it's good. Then The whole thing about physical books, however, is I just like the process of going into a bookstore and coming out, and I just got too many. I would just buy like five books and then buy five more before I've read the first five. But well, that process of going into a bookstore and having a physical book, like my wife reads them on her phone, I can't do that. I need to have the book. And then I'll read like five, then I'll have a break because my brain is still absorbing and then I'll go and read another five.
1: So yeah, I'm definitely old school. Gavin, you've mentioned you're on Twitter. How else can the listeners sort of get in touch with you or read your stuff or see the stuff you're putting out? I've got a very active
2: LinkedIn profile and I do write blogs fairly irregularly, but they're normally quite well thought out and across pertinent themes. So that's the best way to find me. I do also have a Twitter blog which I'm not as active on, but LinkedIn's the best way. And then there is just talk about black. So we do have an active Twitter feed. And the LinkedIn page isn't so active, but we do also have an Instagram page as well where we do post events and the like. So that's the best way.
0: Thanks, Gavin. And I think probably final question from us, what would you say is the most underappreciated thing about investing?
2: In the theme of this discussion. I think it really has to be about purpose. Again, the discussion seems to stop at the investment return or the outcome. Actually, there's this whole wider context around why are we producing the outcome in the first place and for what purpose? And that's different from purpose is different from reason. Purpose means that there's a why behind it and there's this bigger aim. And just given the context in which we're now operating, ideas around purpose and mission are central to our survivability as an industry our relevance as an industry but also just as individuals since i've been involved in this whole drive to increase diversity it has really given me purpose and as tiring and exhausting and frustrating as it is
1: it's one of the most worthwhile things i think i've done yeah that's fantastic what a great note to end on purpose yeah indeed what a great point to emphasize well gavin thank you so much for your time today that's been a really interesting conversation. No problem. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for
2: having me, Mary Dan.
0: So Dan, second half of a really, really important conversation there, really wide range of topics. What one thing are you taking away from this second conversation?
1: For me, it's this point Gavin made about the acronym BAME being unhelpful. And so I'm going to make sure I'm not using that and stop using that. I felt he was spot on when he was saying that it's often because it's a cover for feeling uncomfortable about saying the word black. So we have got to get more comfortable about saying the word black and being clear about it, taking on those tough conversations. How about yourself? What are you taking away?
0: Absolutely. The kind of not shying away from conversations and not hiding behind acronyms or whatever else it is that people are hiding behind. One thing that stuck with me, which is not necessarily the sort of central issue in the whole topic, but it did sort of strike me, was The idea that if I'm a white person and I'm reading a book about race because I care and I want things to get better, and part of that is understanding where things are and and where things have been, to actually not hide the fact that I'm reading that book. So do buy the softback, the hardback, do take it on the tube with you and don't shy away from the fact you're reading it. I think that's actually, it's a takeaway that's quite easy for lots of people to implement more quickly. And I think it moves the conversation, at least in the right direction. That's all we've got time for this week on Investment Uncut. We really hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please join us again next week for another episode. Thanks. Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial
2: advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.